0: How are you doing today? Hopeful. We finished our evangelism series last week, and I I was telling you that I've tried to show people that I've got hope as a Christian, and one of the things I was doing was answering the question, how are you doing, with hopeful. And so sometimes it works. But Wednesday, I walked into my dentist, and all the people working there could hear, and they said, how are you doing? And I said, hopeful. And boy, did they get a big laugh at me. You can't bring hope into the dentist. And I was right to not bring hope into the dentist. I have to go back this Wednesday. You can bring hope into God's Word, though. And if you have your Bible, will you please turn with me to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. If you're new at finding your way around scripture or if it's been a long time since you went to Ezekiel, uh, no shame in looking at the table of contents. But when you open to the middle of your Bible, you might hit Psalms and then go to the right. You've got Psalms and you've got Proverbs and then you hit the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, a short book written by Jeremiah. And then you get to Ezekiel. While you turn there, I want to tell you about Easter. Easter's coming up. And one of the ways we do evangelism, we invite people from the community to our pancake breakfast on Easter Sunday morning. It's a great event. Hundreds of people are here for pancakes, and it's a great way for you to invite your loved ones and friends and neighbors to our church. And if they stay for the service, then they'll hear the really, really good news of what happened that first Easter. One of the things that happened on that amazing day after Jesus was raised from the dead is that he appeared to some of his followers. We read about it in Luke 24. Don't turn there. But the followers of Jesus on Easter Sunday were really confused. Like, what's going on? What happened? We were expecting big things, but now the guy we were following is dead. What's going on? And they were really confused because other people started to say that he had come back from the dead. And so Jesus appears to some of those followers on a road, and he joins them for a walk. And they didn't know it was him, thinking he was dead. And, and here's what happened. Jesus starts explaining to these disciples, to these followers, from their Bibles, our Old Testament. And he explained things like, didn't you realize that the Messiah was going to have to suffer? When you were reading your scriptures, didn't you realize that the whole Bible was pointing ahead to a person who was going to have to die to enter glory, and so Jesus Himself, on the first Easter, the Living Word Himself, tells us something about the whole Old Testament, and this is Luke twenty four twenty five. He said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter His glory?" And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that all the prophets are about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. The law of Moses is about Jesus. Genesis was about Jesus. The crossing of the Red Sea points to Jesus. The battle of Jericho is about Jesus. Job was about Jesus. Esther points to Jesus. David and Goliath was about Jesus. In some way, if we handle our word responsibility, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And this means that Ezekiel is about Jesus. It's enormous. Ezekiel is 48 chapters, tons of poetry, really strange narrative. There's visions, there's wild language, but it's all worth it. Every word of scripture, Old and New Testaments, is valuable and useful and glorious and nourishing for God's people. And so I'm inviting you to read Ezekiel with me over the next six weeks. Over the next six weeks, we're going to preach through Ezekiel 1 through 32. And our sermons will cover those chapters, but we're only going to pick one small section each Sunday to preach through. And as a church, let's read through these first 32 chapters over the next six weeks. And if you have a bulletin and you look at the back, you can see we have a reading plan so you can stay with us. For today, you need to read Ezekiel 1. Don't worry, I'm going to do that for you. And for next Sunday, you can see for Sunday, February 18th, if you read Ezekiel 2 and 3 this week, you'll be prepared for our sermon this coming Sunday. Parents, uh, Ezekiel has some material that would be rated R in movies, so please use wisdom and discernment as you choose how to read God's Word in these passages with your children. After six weeks, we'll get to our Easter sermon series. And then after Easter, six more messages on Ezekiel to do chapters thirty through 48. I trust and pray and hope that this word from God's word will be a blessing to nourish our hearts and souls. So today we're going to see what Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel chapter 1. He saw the likeness of the glory of God. Of the Lord. And we need to see it too. Let me pray first and then I'll read the first few verses. Heavenly Father, we come before your holy word and we are so grateful that we have it in our hands and in our bulletins and on the screen and instant access to every word you gave us on our phones and devices. What a gift. We are rich with your word. But Lord, I'm going to guess that many of us haven't read Ezekiel a ton of times through. And so we come before Ezekiel, your prophet, and we ask this morning that you would humble us. Give us eyes to see your glory, ears to hear your word, and hearts to receive your message with joy and obedience. Be good to us now as we hear from your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 1. I'm only going to read the first three verses to get us started. This is God's good and glorious word. Ezekiel 1. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. All right, this massive book, 48 chapters, we already get history, geography, and genre in the first three verses. We're only going to spend a moment on each of them. First, there's history. Look back at verse 1 again. In the 30th year fourth month, fifth day of the month, and then verse two. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin. Now historians can place this exact moment to July 31st, 593 BC. That's not on the test, but we're talking 600 BC. Now there's two things to note about that. First of all, we're about to spend six straight weeks in a book 2,600 years old and it's still relevant today because God's word is everlasting. There is nothing that has expired here. Every word is profitable. Every word is useful. 2,600 years ago. It does not go stale. And second... We need to remember our history. The Babylonian Empire came and took over the southern kingdom in Israel. The northern kingdom was kicked out and sent into exile by the Assyrian kingdom in the 700s B.C. And in the 500s B.C., the Babylonian Empire came and destroyed Israel and sent everybody into exile Well, before they officially defeated Jerusalem in 586 BC, the Babylonians took a small group of the best and brightest Israelites and kicked them out first. They left the slave labor and kicked out all the artists and the thinkers and the philosophers and the the priests and things like that. And Ezekiel was among the first group of Israelites who saw the army come destroy their land, mock their temple, make fun of them, defeat their army, and kick them out. And Ezekiel is sent away, having seen great loss in the land of God and with the people with their tail between their legs. He's among the first group of exiles. And while they're in captivity, in exile, they're going to hear word later that, oh, Jerusalem has fallen. It's only going to get worse They were exiles in Babylon. And so why was Ezekiel, the prophet, sent on a mission to bring this to God's people? And why do we need this word? Well, if you're in exile in somebody else's land, if you're in a land that's not your home, not your own, if you've lost greatly, then you're asking questions like this. And here's what Ezekiel and his fellow people would have been asking. Where is God? Have you ever asked that? I'm sure you have. Where is God? Ezekiel was sent to a people asking that question. Why did God allow this? Does God care about us? What in the world is going on? I thought there was a plan. You need a book like that? You need a message like that? I do. Ezekiel's going to give us good answers to those questions, hard answers, but good answers, which is why after 2,600 years, it's still so powerful and potent and relevant today. Well, that's the history. Second's geography. Verse one again. In the 30th year, fourth month, fifth day, I was among the exiles by the Kibar, canal. We find out from the rest of the book that the Kibar Canal was part of a river system or a canal system in the Babylonian Empire. And the whole point of us knowing this is to remind the reader that they had been kicked out of Israel. This wasn't their canal. They were in a foreign land. They were exiles in another land. And here is something really shocking. Because in chapter 1, we're about to see this vision of the glory of God. And Ezekiel sees the presence of God and the power of God and this vision of God. But he's going to ask, what is God doing here in Babylon? Because all the stuff we're about to see in verse 4 through the rest of the chapter is the image of God's presence that was supposed to be in Israel, that was supposed to be in the temple, that was supposed to be in the Ark of the Covenant. What is God's presence doing all the way by the Kibar Canal in Babylon? Well, the most potent thing to think about is God's presence is going to be with his people no matter where they are. So if you feel like an exile, know that God will be with you. He is not limited by history or geography. Geography can't stop God. And that's our geography lesson. The genre is in verse 1. Verse 1. 30th year, 4th month, 5th day of the month, I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Ezekiel is a prophet, given God's specific task to go give God's word to the people for a specific time and season in their lives, and he's going to get visions. And when I say visions, I mean this is going to feel like a dream after you had tacos. (laughs) Right? Lots of tacos. This is going to be one of those visions that your mind almost can't wrap your head around. And so there's going to be vision language in this. It's a prophet sent to a people who had forgotten the glory of God, and it's going to start with visions. But there's also narrative, there's a reminder of God's law, there's poetry, but it's prophetic. It's the words of God to the people of God by the mouthpiece of God for their correction, instruction, and encouragement. Again, it's like dreams, but more vivid and clear. And we're not left to guess about what's going on. Throughout the book, we're going to have an explanation and learn what some of those visions mean. And it's not all visions, but get ready. It's a complex book. It's a beautiful book, and it's a gift from God. And other than history, geography, and genre, look at verse 3, because we have two more things. The word of the Lord, right there, came to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, land of Chaldeans, Kibar Canal, and here it is, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So these people of God stuck in exile who saw loss and trauma and tragedy and were kicked out of their homes and lost everything and were second class, third class citizens, slave labor in another land, not their own. God says, my word is with you and my hand is with you. His word is his truth, his reminder, his comfort, his songs. And his hand is his power, his authority, his purpose, his presence, his protections, and his might. And that's really good news for those in exile. This was really good news for the Israelites in exile 2,600 years ago. But it's good news for God's people today. Because all over the world, and even here in our own country, our own land, on social media, and Hollywood, let's be honest, it feels like we're in exile sometimes, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like we're in exile? Do you feel like outsiders? Does this country feel like home to you? Does the internet world warm your heart? Do you feel like following Jesus makes me fit in more? Are you saying that? I doubt it. We're exiles. This is not our final home. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, which Ezekiel will address later on. But in 1 Peter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. So it's okay to think of yourself as an exile. One more thought before we move on to the big vision. Ezekiel was among the first group kicked out of Israel, sent to Babylon as exiles. What do you do when you're in exile? What do you do when you've lost and you're being taken advantage of, and you're in somebody else's land. How do you feel? What is it like? Well, Psalm 137, write it down. You don't have to read it now. I mean, don't turn there now. But listen to the first three verses. Because one of the songs in our songbook, Psalms, Psalm 137, talks about this exact moment when the exiles were in Babylon. How did they feel? Well, there's a song for it. Psalm 137, verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, right, Ezekiel, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, right, the, the nickname for the capital city of God's people, Israel. On the willows there, that's trees, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. You know what they did in exile? Exile. They sat down and they cried and they took their instruments and they hung them up on trees. And the Babylonians said, sing us a song, sing us a song, sing us a song. They didn't feel like singing a song. Ezekiel was sent to a people who were so sorrowful that they didn't even want to sing a worship song. They sat down and wept. That's what exiles do. That's what Ezekiel's friends and family were doing. They sat down and wept. Because exile life is hard. You miss your real home. You miss the real blessings. You wait for rescue. You long for the Lord to save and deliver. And you sit down and weep. So let me ask you, do you sit down and weep sometimes in this world? Are you troubled by the news when you hear it? Does the evil in your land make you want to hang up your instruments and not sing worship to God anymore? Does the suffering all around you make you feel tormented? Well, here is God's message for his people in exile. God will take exiles who are sitting down and weeping and get them to the place of falling down in worship. He will. God will take his exiles who are sitting down and weeping to a place of falling down in worship. And he does it by starting out with this incredible vision given to Ezekiel, that Ezekiel's supposed to go to the people and say, You're not gonna believe what I saw, but you need to see it. You need to remember the glory of the Lord. So, we're gonna turn now to the vision, verses 4 through 28. I'm gonna read through it pretty quickly, we'll pause a few times along the way. But prepare now as I read to hear a description of something that you almost can't fathom. All right? Ezekiel 1, verse 4. As I looked, remember it's a vision, like a dream, but he's awake. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Okay, stop there. Brightness, storm, wind, cloud, fire, glowing metal. I remember once I, I was at a fireworks display and I saw a child who had never seen fireworks before and the parent was like, look, look, look. And the first one goes off and the kid's like, no! <laughs> Scared to death, right? What is going on here is there's, there's color and movement and light and sky and it looks like the skies are opening up and it's loud and it's scary. That's what This vision opens with. If you saw this, verse 4, coming through those windows, you're either going to sit there shocked or you're with me running that way. This is power, like a volcanic eruption. But there's more, verse 5. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. All right, pause there. Four living creatures? No, the likeness of four living creatures. Already, Ezekiel can't even describe what he's seeing. There's something. It's incredible. It's indescribable. I'm going to use words to describe it, but they're going to fall short of what I'm seeing. So the likeness of language is really important. He can barely describe it. Don't go home and try and draw this. Although if you do and you're an artist, I would like to see what you come up with. Send it to me. So there's a likeness of four living creatures in this vision. Verse 5 continues. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. Verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, still can't even describe it. Each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the spirit would go. They went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. Verse 14. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Stop there. This is simply impossible to comprehend. Ezekiel is not describing these details so we can come up with an action figure and play with it. He's describing something and someone otherworldly, so impressive, so majestic, so much greater than what? Well, here's what this vision would have been greater than. In the south, the southern kingdom of Israel, before Babylon came and destroyed them and kicked them out, these exiles... Well, they were supposed to be worshiping the one true God. But they were worshiping other gods. The God of lightning. The God of storms. The God of clouds. The God of fire. And they had little pitiful statues of wood and bronze and other metals on their shelves. And instead of worshiping the God who created them and who brings the harvest, they'd get pitiful little offerings and put them in front of these wooden Fake gods and say, help me. So what the people needed to be reminded of is that there is a God of all this power, all this might, all this control, all this glory. You want to see lightning? It's bigger and better than lightning. But they had forgotten. And they worshiped these false gods of these other elements. Their little statues had no power, no movement, no talking, no life, no control of the weather. Limp lifeless pieces of wood and they bowed down to those false gods and worshipped them. And so they needed, before they did anything else in life, before they knew how to live as exiles, they needed to be reminded of the glory of God. That's what's going on in this vision. They needed to be woken up to remember the greatness of their God, to remember who they were supposed to sing praises with about before they hung up their instruments. How about You, let me ask, how about you? Do you need a reminder of God's glory? When we sang, great is your faithfulness to me. Did you feel that? Did you feel that? Sinners forgiven of every sin by a Savior who came and took on human flesh and died in our place who was there at the beginning and spoke us into existence and gave us life and blessings and friends and love and forgiveness. All that have you forgotten? I know I do sometimes. And when we forget God's greatness, we lose everything else. Do you need a wake-up call of God's glory Jesus' tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. Have you forgotten? They had forgotten. So they needed, not instructions, they needed a vision like this first. Now we continue. Verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of barrel. And the four had the same likeness. Their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. I don't know what that is, but it's a wheel within a wheel. There's some engineer who's like, I know what a wheel within a wheel is. All you need to know is this thing has wheels, which is really important in just a moment. Verse 17. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. So we've got creatures, and then there's eyes, and there's something that can move in any direction and see everything. This thing is not limited. It can see and move anything and anywhere. And then verse 20. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, the power within it, right, they went, and the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Let's stop there. So this thing has wheels that can go in any direction and eyes that can see in every direction, directed by a spirit, a force, a wind, a power. That would make an Israelite think of God himself moving this vision wherever he wants to move it. All right, now verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, Like the sound of an army. That's how loud this thing was. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. All right, pause there. Again, if you see this, you're in awe or you're running away. It's a vision of the glory of God. Just a vision He's greater than this, more impressive, more imposing, more powerful. Do you know who God is? Well, this vision describes something. Wheels, metal, storm, power, lightning, movement. And one more thing. This isn't just a vision of the power and presence of God himself. No, he's much more impressive than that. You know what this is a vision of? His chariot. Just his chariot. That's what this is describing. Look at verse 26. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire, enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Pause there. We've got half a verse left. We almost made it through this vision, but we need to stop here. This is a vision of the throne chariot of God. Not that he has a chariot, because he doesn't need a chariot. This is a vision to remind Ezekiel and the people that God is like one, this powerful, deserving of such an amazing chariot. It's impossible to comprehend. It would be impossible to draw this. AI will never be able to represent this accurately. Although if you do use one of those AIs, throw Ezekiel 1 into it and send me the video. I want to see what happens. No song could capture God's glory thoroughly. You're supposed to see this and remember how glorious God is and how we are not God. You're supposed to see this and think, God is God and I am not. That's what you're supposed to think. It's supposed to hit you hard. Maybe we've forgotten how great God is. There's a book by Nate Wilson, and in it he describes how this world is so amazing, and our God is so amazing, that words can't even describe how great God is. Let me read a quote. He says, thinking of this real world and how awesome God's design is, he says, imagine a poem written with enormous three-dimensional words that we had to invent a smaller word to reference each of the bigger words. And we had to rewrite the whole thing in shorthand, smashing it into two dimensions just to be able to talk about it. And then he says, don't imagine it, look outside. Human language is our attempt at navigating God's language. It's us running between the lines of his epic, climbing on the vowels and building houses out of the consonants. This world is amazing. Our God is amazing, but we forget. And friends, here's a warning. It's dangerous to forget God's glory. It's really dangerous to walk around this world having forgotten God's glory. It's dangerous for our souls. And so Ezekiel gets this gift for us and for his people. And before we even get to the call of Ezekiel to be a prophet, that's next Sunday. And before we get to all the judgment he brings on the nation of God and other nations at the time, before we get to that, there's this vision and Ezekiel sees it And we need to do today and this week, before we read the rest of it, we need to do what Ezekiel did. That's what our hearts need to do. So look at the end of verse 28. Having tried to describe a vision of the likeness of the glory of God, it says this. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. The speaking we'll get to next week. Ezekiel sees this vision. And as he sees it, he is reminded... That God is powerful and God is with his people and God is not limited to Israel and Jerusalem. He can go with his people into exile. He's got control of the weather and control of the harvest and control of the water and control of fire. And he moves faster than lightning. He's reminded of that about God and he needed that reminder. And what he does is he falls on his face in worship And if it's been a really long time since you have been reminded of God's glory and been in awe and fell on your face in worship, and this is a really good week to do that. Because it's dangerous when we forget God's glory. God's going to send Ezekiel on a mission to speak boldly to a people who are in their circumstances because they forgot how awesome God was. The message of Ezekiel is for a group of people who love God, but who have forgotten how mighty he is. Who sing the songs, but don't mean it. Who have been grateful that God brought them into the promised land and forgot to be grateful for all their blessings each day. Ezekiel is going to be sent on a message to boldly bring a message to a people who was taking God for granted. So, before we get to even the judgment or even the call, we need this reminder of the glory of God. It says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. The people in exile were stuck, confused, angry, frustrated, lots of questions, no answers. They had forgotten God's glory, so they needed the reminder. What were they doing in Babylon? They were sitting down and weeping, hanging up their instruments. But God plans to move them through the gift of the ministry of Ezekiel to a place where they see God's glory again and remember it and fall down in worship. So instead of sitting down and weeping all the time, they can get to a place of worship in their hearts. And this is a gift, not just for 2,600 years ago, but for us today. When we've run away from God and gotten lazy or forgetful, we need a reminder of God's glory Why were they in exile? They were in exile because they had forgotten how awesome God was. They took him for granted. And the whole land and their temple had been filled with abominations, the celebration of sin, the mockery of God's goodness. And so he kept his promise and brought the Babylonian Empire to send them into exile, to wake them up, to remind them of his glory. And that's what we need to hear. We need to hear it first in our own hearts. And we need to hear it in our church. But we also need to hear it in our land. When your heart or your church or your nation or your region forgets the glory of God, it only goes downhill, doesn't it? you remove God from any sphere of influence from the laws of a nation, from the popular conscience, when you remove God from the music and the art, you don't get some beautiful, neutral land. You have these pitiful, weak, wooden statues of false gods that want you to make an offering to them, but who have no power and no beauty And no majesty. As a country, we've done that with our laws and our popular conscience and our songs and our art and our life. We don't have a secular utopia. It's been a nightmare and a failure. Misery's on the rise. People are afraid to speak up for their values. People are targeted for persecution. Children are confused and harmed. Our education system has been corrupted. You can't trust news sources. Politicians lie all the time and they know it. And art and music are now not full of beauty to get our hearts to go, wow. but They're full of filth and perversion. Uh, there's one group that uh, offers a program to censor movies so that you can get curse words and other content out of movies so you can watch movies if you want to have a family, family-friendly version of movies. They did uh, research on movies and TV shows in the 1980s and then today. And uh, don't even guess, right? So the amount of cursing and profanity and really inappropriate content in TVs and movies, it's now nine times more in just my lifetime. I mean, I was alive in 1980. Pornography and drunkenness and immodesty are celebrated and promoted. And here's another disastrous thing. People with no wisdom are called influencers. And people with a whole bunch of wisdom have no influence. It's the result when a whole land says, God, get out of here. We don't want you anymore. We've decided that each person is their own God and tried to make a country out of that. And it appears that God is going to let us suffer, maybe for a whole generation, until we hurt each other so much that we cry out for forgiveness. But it's not going to happen until people remember the glory of God. And the the people in Ezekiel's day needed to remember that. But even though we'll have some cultural commentary all throughout Ezekiel, count on that. We can't just point our finger out there. We have to point our finger in here and at our own hearts. Where have we in our hearts forgotten the glory and majesty of God and turned to worthless little wooden idols? And because we give our lives to them and we're not getting what we want from God, we hang up our instrument and we don't want to worship God anymore. Ezekiel will be a great remedy for our hearts when we have turned away from God. So we need the message. Our world needs the message. Ezekiel's people needed it too. So how does it begin? God sends the people an almost incomprehensible reminder that he is God and we are not. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So Ezekiel falls down and worships, and so must we. So as I close the message this morning, maybe you're here and you've forgotten the amazing majesty and glory and power of God, and I'm going to try and wake you up to it with a few thoughts, okay? This is my goal. If that's you, pay attention. If that's you, wake up to the glory and majesty of God. Think about this. Ready? Brothers and sisters, God forgives the unforgivable. Do you? I don't. He does. Ready? God loves the unlovable. God's laws are flawless and lead to human flourishing. What other lawgiver is like that? Here's a good one. God's plans are unstoppable. Ready for this? 2,600 years ago, when this vision appeared to Ezekiel, God knew that you would need to hear it today. And he unstoppably implemented his plan. From 2,600 years ago, for your heart and mind to hear this message. What a gift! God's plans are unstoppable. God's patience is perfect. And all God's people said amen on that one. God's power is immeasurable, God's artistry is without equal. All right, think about your favorite thing in creation, an animal or or something in the weather or something in the universe or the trees or whatever. Think about that. I think the best thing created so far, apart from humans, is the coffee plant, right? (laughs) I like coffee. But the most amazing thing to me is the mimic octopus. I think I mentioned this a a number of years ago. Do you know the mimic octopus? Think about a God who made this animal. The mimic octopus is an octopus that can mimic basically anything underwater. All right? If you're not amazed at God's glory, look up the mimic octopus after the service. Not now. Okay, it can can mimic a crab so it looks like a crab so that other crabs think it's a potential mate and then it attacks. God made an octopus that can do that. It mimics a flatfish. It presses all of its legs together and dangles them behind and skims across the surface so it looks like a flatfish. It can bury 6 legs in a hole of its 8 legs and make the other 2 come out to look like a poisonous snake when predators who are uh, uh, who get attacked by that kind of snake come around. It can change color and shape and size. And my favorite video of the mimic octopus uh, shows it looking like a giant chicken running a race. It takes coral reef as a helmet and hides um, all of its eight legs in in the helmet and has two legs and it's running across the surface of the water. It looks like a chicken. Are you serious? Have you made anything that cool? And yet after making all of those things, after making the mimic octopus, God wasn't done with creation yet because he made us. We're even more amazing. And he not only made us, but we rebelled against him. We sent ourselves into exile in our sin. And yet he sent his son to come and mimic us by taking on human flesh and die in our place. So it's really dangerous to be bored with a God like that. We sang it, but our words were not enough. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. And we're about to sing it again. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God. And beyond all that, we have even more of a reason to be in awe of God's glory because we have received the greater appearance of the likeness of the glory of God in Jesus Christ himself. He was more powerful than this storm chariot from the vision in Ezekiel 1. He came and walked among us, God with us. When his birth was announced, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the skies opened up. Glory to God in the highest. Hallelujah. But Jesus came so that we could see this glory and be reminded of it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Brothers and sisters, if God has gotten boring or stale or meh or unimpressive, this is a great week to spend time staring at his glory that you might fall down and worship and be transformed to be more like Christ By grace through faith. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. May God help us all this week see his glory and fall down in worship. Let me pray. Lord, help us see your glory. Turn our eyes away from lesser things. Help us see your majesty, your beauty, your artistry, and your power. Help us remember that when you sent this vision 2,600 years ago, you made sure we would be here today to hear about it. Help us be so grateful for that truth. Help us see your glory even in that. You made sure we wouldn't miss it. You're such a good and powerful God. This week, Lord, help us fall down in worship, having seen your glory, as we consider what you've done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.